0: Yeah, It's just awesome being in the presence of God. And uh, it's something we must never, ever grow familiar with. Because if we will value the presence of God, we will just go from glory to glory to glory. And God just unfolds his splendor, and it's never-ending. He's fathomless. He's bottomless. He's never-ending. So let's never ever tire of gathering together as it says in the book of Hebrews Father we thank you we thank you Lord for the blood we thank you for the new and the living way thank you Lord that we come boldly right to the throne of God thank you Father that you've stirred us You've baptized us with fire, with love, with power, and with sight to see. Lord Jesus, you said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. We can see. We can experience. And Father, we pray today that we will go on in understanding. You've given us mighty keys, the keys to the kingdom. That we as your, your priests and kings, we as your family, your ambassadors, Lord, we can show forth your virtues, your perfections, your wonders, your kindness, your love. That we can do the works of Jesus as we grow in understanding as Christ is formed in us by your word. We honor you. We reverence you, Holy Father. We reverence you, Holy Spirit. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful Lord. Thank you that you hear, that you teach each one of us, that you form Christ in us today. Hallelujah. I, I just want to. Go to heaven right now, and uh, often I do. Um, I was speaking a few weeks ago um, at, at, amongst a group of Christians, and the power of God just came on me, and I just went and sat down. That was the end. I, I just couldn't talk, I couldn't function. You know, the power of God comes on you, and it's, it's like um, your senses are suspended. And I'm starting to feel some of that now. <laughs> oh, God. We thank you for your presence. Wonderful presence. Wonderful presence. Let me get into this. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for grace. Okay. So we're going to. I'll just start on 1 John 5, verse 14 just as a, a kicking off point for us. Because what we're going to do today, yesterday we were looking at how do we pray. We were talking about prayer that God has given us guidelines to pray. And this 1 John 5.14 is just a scripture that is such a key. It's such a key to prayer. pray that works. Prayer that gets results. Gets answered every single time. And you know we've spoken about this time together as being praying with God. Now, if we pray in the word of God, the will of God, in the understanding, we're praying with God, not so. And then there's even a greater dimension where we can go into areas of prayer where we don't know what the will of God is, where it's not revealed. What God wants to do with people, for instance, mainly when we're praying for other people. And even some of the... Um, the prayers of, uh, that are required in our lives. You see, God has got a destiny for us. If you read through Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, it says we are God's workmanship created for good works in Christ. And when we come into the kingdom as, as newborn babes, we don't have a, a clue really as to how that's going to work out in our lives. And, and that's the job of the Spirit to lead us. So, there's almost two riverbanks of the flow of the Spirit in our life. And the one is grace, and the other one is destiny. Both of those are ours. And that's why it says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, we are God's workmanship, created for good works in Christ. And in the Amplified, it goes on and says, you know, he's pre-planned and ordained paths for us to walk in, and he's prepared a good life for us to live. And that's the John ten ten, life and abundance that Jesus is talking about. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. So we want to flow in that, and but we're getting into a an area where it's not so obvious from Scripture. What are we to do? it's it, when it comes to destiny and the future and you know where we live, and it even says and. In the book of Acts, is it Acts seventeen verse twenty six, where it says He's decided who's going to live where, when they're going to live. It's just amazing. So we want to start harmonizing with what God is doing. You know, I can remember sitting um, and watching, and uh, someone was tuning the bass guitar, and the the drum, the snare drum, started rattling. You know. <laughs> vibrating in time with the the bass guitar. And that's really, we've got to start vibrating in harmony with God in our lives. So let's read 1 John 5. So some of what we're going to do is, we spoke yesterday about prayer and understanding, really, and how we should approach God. And this was one of the key scriptures we looked at. So I'm going to pick up here, and then we're going to move on. So it says, 1 John 5 verse 14 says this, This is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness which we have in him. We are sure that if we ask anything, make any request according to his will, in agreement with his plan, he listens to us and hears us. And it's both what we ask, and remember I said, and it's the way we ask. We pray in the name of Jesus. Remember, we read, we read in John 16, up until now, you've asked nothing in my name, but now we ask in his name. Okay, so it's the way we ask and it's what we ask for. And if, since we positively, positively know that he listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted us as our present possessions the requests made of him. So how do we ask according to his will? We have to know what it is that he's given us. And we have an inheritance, and we've every, Ephesians 1 verse 3, just a bit of um, recapping. It says we have been blessed with every blessing in Christ Jesus. And 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we have to find out what it is he's given us. And then uh, we said that faith is not getting God to move. We don't have faith to get God to move. God's moved. He's finished moving. He's done what he's done. He's given us everything. Our faith is to take what he's done for us, the blessings that he's stored up for us, and to bring them into this realm. It's the vehicle that transfers the blessing you've given. You have already received. It's there in Christ. So we've got to dig out and search it out. Okay, so so that's what happens when we pray in understanding. We, we're going to harmonize with God's will for our lives to the best that we can in understanding. And then we're going to... Um, Look at what he's given us and that's what we draw down. And our faith is able to take a hold of that and bring that, manifest that in this realm. It's one thing to have every blessing in Christ, to have life and abundance in Christ, to have riches and glory, to have healing, you know, in the word of God. Because healing is a spiritual thing. How do we bring it down and how do we manifest it in this life? That's our faith. So... Was there a recording last night? Did did Adam record it? Okay, great. So there is a recording. You can hear how we spoke about that in detail. So today what we want to do is we want to move on. So we've seen, okay, we can pray and uh, this stuff's all there for us and faith's going to bring it down for us. So today I want to look in more detail as to why I pray. Okay, we're happy with that. So we know we have a destiny. We know that Jesus said, I've come that you have life and have it in abundance. So let's look at what prayer does to, uh, to affect our lives, to affect the lives of those around us and to, to bring things into being. So let's go, um, what we'll do is we'll look at a few instances where people have prayed, both Old Testament and New Testament, and we'll see what the result was. So let's go to Exodus 17. Let me just open up here. And why I want to talk about the things I'm talking about today is because many people think, oh, well, if God said it, it'll just automatically happen. It's, it's a done deal. So I've just got to sit back and wait for things to happen. So let's see what happened in Exodus 17. Let me get there. Right, so what happened was Israel had been promised that they would be taken into the promised land. They'd come out of captivity and guess what? Some Amalekites came to attack them and fight with them. Horror of horrors. But that's what happened. And they had to fight to, to stay in existence. It's like we told to fight the good fight of faith. And we can look at that in Timothy. But right now we're in Exodus 17 and we're going we're gonna to look at verse 8. And very interesting, it was just after... It was just after there'd been dissension and there'd been arguments in in the camp of Israel. If you read verse 7, and um, the people had murmured because they were thirsty. But in verse 8, it says, Then came Amalek, descendants of Esau, and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses uh, said and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the hilltop. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now we're looking at principles. Understand the difference in the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, is how we relate to God. But the principles... these are demonstrations of of what happens in the spirit realm so look at verse 12 it says Moses' hands were heavy and grew weary so the men took a stone and put it under him and he sat in it and Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side one on the other and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and uh, Joshua mowed down and disabled Amalek and his people with the sword sword speaking of the word of God so here's, here's a case where God has said, "I am taking you through the wilderness into the promised land." At that stage, everything was on for that generation. They hadn't had their report of the spies going in the land and coming back, and all their unbelief and complaints, and um, you know, then that they lost the right to enter the promised land, and they died in the desert. But at this stage, that's where they were headed. That was God's will. You agree? God wanted them in the promised land. He was taking them into a land of milk and honey. And here these um, Amalekites have come, and if Moses is not exercising authority, what is he doing? How? I mean, if you think in the natural, in the natural, there's a man on the hill with his hands raised, and there's a valley down below, and there's people fighting with real weapons, you know, getting on with it. How does a man raising his hands or lowering his hands affect anything? It's because the kingdom, the authority in the kingdom, actually changes this realm. And it was the release of that authority as Moses was standing with hands raised that, um, that Joshua was able to do what he had to do. And it's the same thing with us. As, as we are praying, And you can look at Paul over and over. There's Paul great preacher, Ephesians 6.19 would be a case in, in mind, where Paul's a great preacher and he's written half the New Testament and he's saying to the Ephesians, he's saying, please pray for me that words are given me that I can boldly proclaim the gospel. Paul, you've got all these revelations. You've been caught up into the third heaven. Paul, uh, you've seen Wonderful things that you can't even speak of. And you're saying, please pray for me that I'll have words to speak. He's the master at presenting. You just read the book of Romans or the book of Hebrews. What brilliantly um, worded and put together arguments and explanations of, of, of what Christ has done. The theology in there is amazing. But the way he explains it is amazing. And he wants words. Because when he gets those prayers, the words flow. I've got people praying for me right now. We've got a prayer team. And I know many of you prayed for me, and I thank you. That words will flow. Because we don't want words for words sake. We want the words. The words of God. We want the words that are spirit and life. We want the words that are sharper than the two-edged sword. We want the words that are living and active that divide soul and spirit, that penetrate, they sift and search out, heart motives. We want the words that are going to just point us at the glory of God and they're going to have an impact in our lives. Those words, they're going to mold us and form Christ in us. And here we have the will of God being affected by Moses on a hill. And... You know there's a, a scripture uh, Paul must have taken from this because in one Timothy two eight he says, "I would have people you know pray everywhere without quarreling, raising holy hands. So what does that do? It, it, it helps the power it puts the wind of God, if we want to put it that way, behind us. It energizes us. Israel were energized in this battle, and they were able to In the power of God, because of the energy that was being released into them, they were able to overwhelm these Amalekites. The Amalekites didn't stand a chance while people were praying. Aaron and her, with Moses up on the hill. So prayer, in this case, I I just think maybe the, 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 the Bible would have ended at that point if Moses hadn't done that. It's it's a it's a, a a critical key in the steps of God. It's the same in our lives. Things unfold. We go from glory to glory to glory. We go from battle to battle to battle. So so that's one case. I will tell you, uh, let's look at another case. You know, we saying, okay, well, if God said it, surely it must be. Let's go to one Kings eighteen. So it's a bit later. Still Old Testament. But this is a fantastic story, And in fact, this is a story that James picks up on in the book of James, James 5:16. He speaks about exactly what happened here. So we'll reference from the story back to James 5:16 in a while. But this is the story of Elijah, and if you read well, we'll start in chapter 17 and just read the first few verses. I'm not going to read everything. Have I moved this thing now? It's OK. All right, so this is it. Look, look here, chapter 17. This Elijah, he's an amazing man. It says, Elijah the Tishbite of the temporary residence of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years but according to my word. Now, this man, it says, comes from the temporary residence of Gilead. And as far as I can understand... They were shepherds and they were temporary because they would move their flocks as and when. Now they were despised people because people who worked with sheep stunk. That's why shepherds now in the church smell of sheep, and which is wonderful. Jesus is a shepherd. That's why he loves sheep. But the people in society in those days who, who smelt of animals weren't really that welcome. So you've got Elijah. He comes from this let's say, disadvantaged background, really, if you want. He's a nobody in a a nowhere. But look here what he says. He says, As the Lord of God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Now, he stood in God's presence. This man had boldness. This man had confidence. And what are we told to do? come boldly to the throne of grace yeah, by the new and living way. Every one of us has, has, has got that access. But that this is what made him unique, that he could stand before God and say that, I stand before the Lord. Most people would fall on their face. When, when the angel appeared to Daniel, he fell on his face like a dead man. So Elijah's just something else. Anyway, he says this, um, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, uh, there shall not be dew or rain these years, but at my word. Now we'll see that God has, has spoken to him. And, the, and, and then the, the Lord sent him off into hiding to the place where he was going to be. We won't carry on reading that, but he was fed by the, the ravens and it's just a wonderful thing happens. And then he the the, the brook dries up and, and he moves on. But look at now chapter eighteen. Let's go to chapter eighteen. It says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Verse one, in the third year, saying, "Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth." Wow, God said. You see that? God said, "I'm sending rain." So so Elijah goes and shows himself to Ahab, and he speaks to Ahab. And we won't read about the, uh, all the things that happened, but it's just amazing when you do a study how he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. It was like he and, 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 and he did a sacrifice, and the sacrifice was accepted. How that sacrifice just opened the people's eyes, and how the people, where he first asked them, you know, if Baal's God serve him, and says if says, if, if the Lord of Israel's God serve him, and it says the people were silent. They didn't. offer anything they were apathetic they were blinded you think in the new testament paul writes in 2 corinthians 4 verse 4 he says the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers but when sacrifice happened it says and the fire fell and consumed that sacrifice now there's two things that happened there there was obviously obviously this visible spectacle that happened which caused israel to respond to wow the fire fell well the lord must be god but the, the sacrifice was accepted and there was a spiritual blindness that came off of them and they screamed out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And so they were able then to deal with the prophets of Baal. But anyway, he goes, to, uh, he, he goes before um, that happens. And then if we look at verse 42, verse 41, Elijah says uh, to Ahab, you in verse 41, go up. Eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. What is he doing? He's repeating the words that God spoke to him. He's speaking the prophecy. So that's wonderful. God said to him, go show yourself to Ahab, I'm sending rain. He goes, he shows himself to Ahab, Baal worship's dealt with, and he says, uh, go up and eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. It's job done. Not so. I've delivered the word. We've done what we had to do. I can go home now. God, you will do it. Is that what he did? Nope. Is that what we do? Just think about what you do with the word of the Lord. Both the promises that you get and also the prophetic words. Because we're told not to despise prophecy. We take prophecy. We discern it. We um, check it out against the scriptures. And we get two or three people maybe to, to look at the word and see what the witness is in their hearts. But that's not the end of the story. Look what, look what happens next. Ahab went up to eat and drink. Good for him, yeah? Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He bowed himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees. Now, what is he doing? I'm told that that was the, how a Hebrew woman birthed. We know what he's doing because we'll have a look in uh, James 5, what it says. But he said to his servant, look at 43, go up now, look toward the sea. Obviously, that's the uh, the, the weather fronts would come in from the direction he was looking. That's why I assume that that's where he looked. He went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Elijah said, go again seven times. You see, scripture is very brief. But what would have happened was um, he would have gone, he would have looked. Elijah would have put his hand between his knees guess what he was doing? We'll see in James five sixteen. 16, he, he was praying. But Elijah was locked onto one thing with focus. You know, it's not like being in prayer meetings sometimes that we get in where one thing comes from this direction and another thing comes from that direction and another thing from that direction. And it's all a lot of noise and I, I think it's a bit confusing because there's different prayers with different rules going on. It's like, you know, you're all in a room and we're going to play ball together, but one's playing tennis, one plays rugby, one plays football, one's playing golf. Can you imagine? All ball games. It's all prayer. But there's just confusion. There's not focus. What's Elijah done? He's locked onto that word of the Lord, and he said, I'm going to stay on this thing. He keeps sending his guy back. Five times, six times, seven times. Elijah, you know... Isn't it done? But he knows what he's doing. He keeps on the subject. He's focused. The seventh time, verse 44, the servant said, a cloud as small as a man's hand is arising out of the sea. And Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down lest the rain stopped you. So he even sees, often we as Christians, we despise small things. We see the beginning of something. We see the first fruits. And it's what I say to people when we, when we minister healing to them. Look for what God is doing. Do you remember in, in Numbers when the people were in the desert and they all started getting bitten, bitten by snakes? And you can see in Numbers 21, verse 9, um, Moses puts up the, the, the brazen serpent on the pole. And what were the rules? The rules were if you get bitten, you look at the snake on the pole, and you will live. So it's, it's, it's very tempting when things go wrong or uh, when there's pain or things in your body. It's very tempting to look at what's happening. You know, imagine if the Israelites in the desert said, oh, I got bitten on my leg. Wow, it's got me there, right above the knee. And, Oh no, look, it's swelling. Gee, it's gone red. Oh dear, I've been poisoned. Oh no. If that's what they've done, I can feel my leg going numb. I can feel it. I can feel it. Oh, oh no, this thing's getting worse. It's getting worse. If they'd done that, they would have died. They focused on the snake on the pole. And if you read um, uh, John, the, 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 the Gospel of John 3, verse 14, it's speaking of Christ being lifted up on the pole. And the rules are the same now. We look to him. We look to him. We look to him when we've been healed. We look to him when, when, when prayers have been answered uh, or, or been offered. And we are looking to him the whole time. He's the source of life. We don't focus on the bad thing. It's very tempting. You read, I'm um, going on the rabbit trail now. <laughs> but you read um, Psalm 23. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'll not want. And he lays me down in green grass, chairs. He leads me beside still still waters, and and he restores my soul. And then it says that he prepares a table for me, before me in the presence of my enemies. Now that is amazing. So what do you do? Do you go and feast on the table? Say, wow, look at that. Because God's got a table full of good things. Wow, there, look, strength. Ah, I'll have some of that. And you eat strength and... uh, then you look around you say oh there's this there's, there's love i'm going to feast on love and then you feast on love and oh i can feast on presence i can all the goodness of god there's healing there's joy i'm feasting on that and then it says tables in the presence of the enemies and the enemies are standing all around and the one shouting hey hey look at me i my name's lack I'm, I'm, I'm bringing lack into your life. Come, come. Just pay attention. This is reality. I'm real. Listen to me. Look at me. Lack. I'm lack. No. You're feasting on abundance. The Bible says you ignore the enemies around you. They can't do a thing to you. It's the same thing uh, with looking at the snake on the pole. And it's the same thing with Elijah. He's focused. what god is going to bring what was the what was the word of god go and present yourself to ahab i'm sending rain on the land so he focuses on that and he says to ahab again after the incident with the prophets above go up and eat and drink for i hear the sound of abundance of rain and then he goes up on carmel and he's you i can imagine elijah and this is going to be a It speaks in James, it says the heartfelt, continued prayers of the righteous avail much. It's passionate, it's violent, it's it's perseverance, continued, as I said. So he's saying, rain, rain, rain. And he's got his head between his knees. Rain be, rain be, in the name of Jehovah. Rain, 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 rain. This is just pouring out of him. He's birthing that rain. He's doing it with passion and violence. It's not like, oh, our Father, thank you that you're sending the rain. Amen. It, that wouldn't work. It doesn't cut it. Let's go to, just keep your finger in 1 Kings 18 and go to James 5. Why did Elijah have to go and pray if God said, Why do we have to pray if God said? Okay, James 5. Look at verse 17. Well, I like the end of verse 16. So we read the end. Well, we can read the whole of verse 16. Let's not cut it out. Okay, confess to one another your faults, your slips, your offenses. Now, what is that speaking about? That's not speaking about confessing sin and saying to God, Oh, I am a sinner. Remember last night we said that the last verse, I'm not sure exactly what the number is in in Ephesians 4. And Colossians 3 verse 13 say, be kind-hearted and tender with each other, readily pardoning and forgiving each other um, uh, sins that are committed, things we do to each other as Christ has already, God has forgiven you. We're forgiven. Okay, so here we go. Confess to one another your faults, your steps, your false steps, your offenses. In other words, I'm insensitive and I've said something, I've upset someone. God loves harmony. And we we spoke about that uh, Psalm 133 at um, the Blackman's house the other night. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. And then it carries on, it speaks about this, it's like the... The oil running down, Aaron's beard dripping down his tunic. And, uh, and it speaks about the dew running down Mount Hermon. It's only a few verses, that psalm. And then it says, and there God commands his blessing. He loves when we're in unity. That's why we have to guard above all else. The unity of the brethren. So, And part of it is this process of uh, verse 16. Just being kind to each other. Just choosing not to be offended. Just saying, I'm just going to forgive. I'm like my father. My father just forgives. He forgave. He gave his son. He's generous. He's kind. It says, so pray for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Now the next verse, or the next sentence, should I say. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Elijah, verse 17, was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. He prayed earnestly for it not to rain, and no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. But I thought God said, James, did you get it right? Then he prayed again. God said, you see how he's working with God? He's taking the word of God and he's praying that word. He's he's that conduit for for God's will and for God's um, works to be manifest and the power of God to be released into the earth to change the weather. So it says he prayed again. This is what we were just reading about from uh, 1 Kings 18:42 onwards, and the heaven supplied rain, and the land produced its crops as, as usual. You know, sometimes when you read scripture, it's so brief, and it, it 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 doesn't pad out because God is expecting us to look at the scripture. He's expecting us to to inquire of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, just help me. To to, uh, to imagine, to understand what is going on here. And then it it fills out. You get the rest of the story. You see Elijah says he prayed earnestly. Yeah, he prayed. He prayed loudly. He prayed with everything he had. He was down there shouting, Rain be! Rain be! Rain be! You will be in the name of Jehovah. Rain be! Let it rain! Let it pour! Let it pour on the land! Land! You will receive the rain! You'll receive the rain. And he would pray. And then, you know, prayer, which we're going to demonstrate later, when you're praying like that, goes in waves. And in a way, you could see seven times, almost like labor pangs. Paul calls it labor pangs. In Galatians 4, he, uh, um, he says, My little children, for whom I'm again in the pangs of labor, that Christ be formed in you. And you read, Isaiah 66, verse 8, where it speaks about Zion travailed. That's in the pangs of childbirth and brought forth her children. So we want to do the same. You know, my mom was telling me a story, I don't know when it was, two days ago. She was saying there was a, a lady that, we, that she knew was a friend of my brother's, my other brother, not Paul. And this woman was in hospital. She was, she was sick, critical, wasn't it? Colette, I'm talking about you too. Yeah, okay. This woman was sick. And my mom said she went into, it, it was, she, with tears. And uh, yeah. I, I got lost in the labor ward when my second one was born. She was in uh, Westville Hospital. So they said, okay, you can come through now. But, uh, the baby's coming. So I thought, I'm going to be really brave. And I'm going to stick around to see this happen, just to be with Heather and all the rest. So they said, come through, because I'd been sitting, resting. It had been a while that she'd been in labor. And so I walk into this area where, where the uh, labor is going on. And it was like there was a whole lot of cubicles. But blow me down. The, the curtains were all open. And as I'm walking past, I'm going like this. So I'm just hearing things and seeing things. I tell you, I'm, I just want to get out of there. So when it comes to labor, you cannot... There's no woman who can say, oh dear, my makeup's running. I'm not looking very nice at the moment. Um, or can say, just hold it, it's time for tea. It's not like that. When you're doing the job, you're doing the job. And there's tears, there's snot, there's, there's, there's groaning, there's cries. And I think God just got me lost there. So I just went through this place. And... Uh, Eventually, I found the right one. <laughs> but, wow, I tell you what. You just really think, why do people even want children? <laughs> That's and yet the joy afterwards, isn't it? But this is, Eli- this is Elijah. It's fervent. It's heartfelt. This is Paul. I'm in travail that Christ be formed in you. My mom said she was in travail for Colette. And guess what? Colette was healed. She's alive today. And how many of us are praying like that, moving into that dimension of prayer? You see, what, what Elijah is doing here, this is, this is amazing. It's focused, and it's not stopping until the job's done. Now, for us in the new covenant, working with the Spirit of God, how do we know when the job's done? God gives you the peace. You, you get the release. You might do an, another pang if you're in, in travail. And you get peace, and that fits in with Philippians four verse six, where it says, you know, "Have no anxiety or "Be anxious about nothing, but present your petitions with thanksgiving." And it says, "And the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind." You know, when, when the peace of God's on me, I, I just don't care. People can say this, that and the other. I say, "God, I have peace." It says the peace of God in the Amplified will garrison about you. That's a military term. It's like you have this force field. Remember Star Trek? They have warp shields and all sorts of stuff. When they're trying to shoot these these spaceships down, they say, Shields up! That was all nonsense anyway. But uh, it's that same. This is the reality. This is the real thing. The peace of God garrisons around you. And the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. The currency of God is peace. He doesn't get alarmed. So it says, Elijah prayed earnestly. And it's just said further up the page uh, in, in, in verse 16. Heartfelt, continued prayer avails much. Okay, so... Was it necessary? Does anyone think it was necessary for Elijah to pray, even though God said? Well, James thinks it was necessary. He says, it didn't rain because Elijah prayed that it wouldn't, and it did rain because Elijah prayed that it would rain. And he doesn't say, God said, I'm sending the rain. And God had said, I'm stopping the rain. Now, if you think about it in terms of, we we, we also mentioned yesterday about how Prayer, in Ephesians 3 verse 20, it speaks about how God is able to do beyond, exceedingly beyond what we can ask, think, or even imagine according to his mighty power at work in us. So how would we have prayed maybe if we'd done a little bit of research said, oh dear, there's some Baal worship uh, in our land. Well, let's pray against the spirit of Baal. God had a much better strategy. He stopped the rain, didn't he? And he got the whole of Israel involved in this uh, affair because Baal worship was destroyed in the land. We might have prayed, oh, and we bind that spirit of Baal because we were coming with our own intelligence. But we want to have the mind of Christ, which we do have. We want to use that ability that's in us. We we, want to use the strength of God and the power of God. Okay, so shall we look at another case? Okay, I've got some cases of intercession. I'm not going to look at those. I've looked at that one. Um, Let's go to Acts 12. Here's uh, Peter and James. They've been thrown in jail. The one guy got his head chopped off. And uh, they're going to get hold of Peter the next day. So let's have a look what happened. Acts 12 tells us a story. Verse 1 is probably a good place to start. It says, About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to afflict and oppress and torment some who belonged to the church assembly. He killed James, the brother of John. I mean, this is close to home. And when he saw it was pleasing to the Jews he proceeded further and arrested Peter also. Okay, I'm skip reading. It says, when he had seized Peter and put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers, of four each, to guard him, purposing after the Passover to bring him forth. Okay, so verse 5 says, Peter was kept in prison, but fervent prayer was persistently made by the church assembly. Now, if we just keep your finger there. Turn back to John 21 verse 18. We want to see what was prophesied to Peter by the Lord Jesus. Okay, I took a little while to get there. So, uh, this is after Jesus is resurrected and he asks Peter, do you love me, do you love me? And three times. And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. I love you, I love you. Okay, and then Jesus says this to him in verse 18. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, when you were young, you girded yourself, put on your own belt of girdle, and you walked about wherever you pleased to go. But when you grow old, so now if Herod chops his head off, is he going to grow old? When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put a girdle around you and carry you you do not wish to go. So that's been prophesied by the Lord Jesus. So that's the word of God to, to, to Peter. But Peter's in jail now, and the chances are he's going to get his head chopped off because James has had his head chopped off, and he, he's you know, been martyred. So look what happens. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but fervent prayer for him was persistently the heartfelt Continued prayers of the righteous avail much. Could this be like uh, Moses up on the hill praying and Israel um, taking the ground and winning the battle while the the hands were up and the, the spiritual authority was being expressed over that battle? It says here, persistent prayer and fervent prayer. That is heartfelt, continued prayer. Their Peter, their leader, the apostle is going to get his head chopped off. But look look, look! what it says here now in verse 6. The very night before Herod was about to bring him forth, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers fastened with two chains, and sentries before the door uh, were guarding the prison. I mean, this is pretty... Uh, he's actually fastened with two chains, and there's sentries and... He's sleeping between two so he's sleeping for a start. Does that sound like the peace of God garrisoned about him? I'm gonna possibly get my head chopped off tomorrow and I'm sleeping. There's just something amazing here. This is supernatural. And it says suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the place where he was, and the angel smote Peter and said, Get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands. That's amazing. They just fell off. What's going to happen when we when pray into our communities and chains and things start falling off the people and liberty comes and bondage, because you know, light is released. When, when we are the children of the light, when we release light, darkness flees. You don't have to fight. We don't fight the darkness. We just release the light. And so he's set free. And... Um, so he goes, he goes to where the churches pray. praying. Okay, so at first he thought he was dreaming, but go, go to verse 12. When he became aware uh, that he was now free, he says he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where a large number were assembled together and praying. Now we're going to learn to pray like that. We're going to learn to pray where there's a release of God's power because there's focus and there's purpose and the prayer is prayed until it's finished. All right, so he knocks at the door, and someone comes to answer called Rhoda. And says so she, she recognized him, and, but she didn't open the door. She left him at the door um, and went to tell the other people. And this is what they said to her. Now, is this prayer in faith? I, this, points to, this says to me, I think they were praying in the spirit. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And yet, with God, when we pray in the Spirit, what is happening is our spirits, by the Spirit within us, are praying. But our mind is unfruitful. In other words, our mind is not involved. And faith, that area of holding to the promises of God, that area of being certain and and receiving the substance of things hoped for, uh, it's in the mind that our minds are are holding on to the things of God. Believings in the mind, believing and, and, and in the heart, but it, it's your mind first, where you believe, because and believing is a choice. You choose to believe, your ears open, you hear the word, and it drops in your heart, comes out your mouth. But they said, "Oh, you crazy! Look what it says. They said it's his angel." <laughs> These are the church, pray. I believe they were praying in the Spirit. And God, in, uh, in, in, in his grace and kindness, has bypassed their thinking. They're still learning the things of God. The church is very young. And uh, so Peter's there. And eventually he carries on knocking and they let him in. And um, he was restored to his brethren. Now, what would have happened if they hadn't prayed? Why does the scripture say, fervent? It, it puts it, it says, Look at verse five. Peter was in prison, but fervent prayer was being prayed. How did Peter get out of jail? How did those shackles fall off his, his hands? It was by the power of God. Where the Spirit, where, where the Lord is the Spirit. If you read two Corinthians three and it's uh, verse seventeen, it says, "Where the Lord, where, where, where the Spirit is Lord." Sorry, I'm mangling it up. "Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty," and that manifests. That manifests. Acts 13, turn to Acts 16. I I'm just watch the time. What time does this session stop? 10.30. 1030. Okay, we're at... Oh, you're back. <laughs> right, Acts 16. And this is something we looked at. Look, and we look, look in verse 16. As we were on our way to, uh, to prayer... We talk about Paul and Silas now. They, they're on a missionary trip, and they've been preaching the gospel. And it says, as we were on our way to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination, claiming to tell... Uh, I'm not going to read the whole lot. She, she kept following Paul, shouting, these are servants of the Most High God. And so what was it? That was the truth. It was the spirit. That, that, that was actually doing the announcing. And uh, so Paul, it says in verse 18, turned and said to the spirit within her, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out. But then they got into trouble because the owner's now lost his way of making money, so they dragged them before the authorities. And let's have a look here. It, say, it says, verse 22 The crowd joined the attack upon them. The rulers tore their clothes off, and they were beating them with rods. I remember before going to the UK, um, and we're going back into the 90s now, there were vigilante mobs operating in some of the townships. And on TV, I don't know how it happened, it must have been orchestrated. That's all I can think. The camera was right there, and they, they had probably about four or five young men, I would say, probably in their 20s, twen- maybe early 20s or thereabouts and they there was some mob justice being done because they said no no these guys have been molesting girls so they they had shambucks you know what shambucks are and the crowd were beating these guys and these guys were all trying to get under each other to so that the one on top would get the you know get the get the the, the lashes it was horrific i thought that's That is horrific. And they're showing this on TV. And then I thought, so that picture was in my mind. It stuck because I was horrified. But that's what they did to Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas hadn't been molesting girls. They'd been preaching the gospel. Anyway, it says that, you know, they were thrown in jail. And um, they were put in the deepest, darkest part of the jail, if you see verse 24. Uh, And then, but look in 25, verse 25, it says, About midnight, as Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the other prisoners are listening, it says there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. Everyone's shackles were unfastened. Isn't that what happened to Peter? The church were praying fervently for Peter. The shackles fell off. Everyone's shackles. This is not natural. Because an earthquake in a jail, maybe walls will kill people. There's no way shackles are going to come unfastened. Not, how, how could they? But uh, how could an earthquake do that? This is way beyond an earthquake. So there's no one injured. The doors fly open. The shackles are unfastened. So the jailer wakes up because there's a commotion. Obviously, when, when the, yeah, this commotion was going on, this as a result of. Um, this move of God. It says that the jailer, he was about to kill himself because he thought it's my life for theirs. They're gone. I'm going to die a miserable death. I'm probably going to die inch by inch unless I do the job quickly and thoroughly. So he's about to kill himself. He didn't want to be tortured. And Paul shouts, How does he know? It's by the word of God. It must have been a word of knowledge because he's in the deepest, darkest part of the jail. In stocks, bleeding and bruised. And they've been singing and praying. They haven't been saying, Oh God, how did you let this happen to me? Oh, I'm so sore. Oh Father, please could you just take some of this pain away? And oh Lord, you know, we do want to preach your, your gospel, but when these things happen, we can't. And oh, oh Father, I'm very sore. I'm very, very sore. Oh Lord. Very, very, very sore. <laughs> you know what I mean? They would. They were singing praise and praying to God, knowing Paul, he was saying, Lord, may the people in this city have the power to grasp and understand the, the, the love of God, the height, the width, the depth of it. Father, may there be vessels flooded with your light. May they have the richest measure of your of, of, of your presence. Oh, God, move in signs and wonders to bring glory to your son Jesus. They pray, and thank you, Father, that we, your servants, we've been counted worthy of being beaten for your name's sake. Man, and the the earthquake just came. (laughs) And there's the jailer now, about to kill himself, because the earthquake came. Paul shouts, we are all here. Did anyone, uh, we, uh, uh, the the last real bad earthquake I saw footage of was Tahiti a few years ago. Did anyone see any of that footage? Anyway, the one shot that they showed was the the local jail in this uh, city or whatever it was that had been affected by the earthquake. The the one big wall fell down. But guess what? The jail was empty. There was not a soul in sight. And I immediately thought of this. Wow, what do prisoners do? They run for it. They gap it. Man, my shackles are off. The doors are open. This means we're out of here. Come on, chaps. Not so. Paul says, verse 28, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. Now, we're talking about people who are hardened criminals. Some of these guys could have been killers. They could have been... um, you know, people that went around assaulting people they, they, they would have been people that are used to brutal treatment they would have been hard guys and you know when Paul and Silas were praising and, and singing hymns to God they wouldn't have been saying good song I love your harmonies you know it says midnight they would have been shouting and saying, shut up we're trying to sleep but in very flowery sort of terminology and with good adjectives. They're all there. Because there's a glory in the jail. The glory of God. Do you know, I've been in meetings where I've seen people stuck to their chairs. Stuck. Can't move. People lying on the floor and they feel like there's a weight on them and because the, the the COVID, the glory of God, is so heavy on them. They can't get up. And they just lie there. We had a guy in in England, and he was a sort of a bit of a a free-living Christian, if I can put it that way. Um, And he believed in God, and he would prayed a prayer of salvation, but he was living the life that he wanted to live. And we were in a a home group meeting. He was sitting in a beanbag, because we were all sort of squashed into this house. Houses were small then. And um, so we, we were praying, uh, and next minute we hear the squeak. He's like, help, help, help! And and we, he, he he says I can't move. He could he couldn't talk properly. He his senses were suspended. The weight of God was on him so strong. Now is that what happened to these prisoners? I think something like that did happen. The glory of God was in that place, and these guys were both. In a way, what is this? It's like Saul on the road to Damascus saying, you know, when the bright light appears and he falls to the ground, who are you? Lord. Knew exactly what it was. They couldn't run. They sat in the glory of God. Look what the jailer does. It says here, um, Verse 29. I'm just trying to see where this is. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling and terrified. This is a tough man. He probably isn't scared of death, but he's scared of God. Because he probably brutalized the prisoners. I'm just guessing. They would have put a pretty fierce character in charge of that jail if these were bad dudes. Not so. He's Terrified. Terrified. Paul got the fright of his life when um, he fell to the ground on the road to Damascus. So much so that he was transformed. He was like instantly, you know, within a few days, he was, he, he was Paul, the apostle. <laughs> he went off and he learnt his craft. And what does the jailer said, say? He says, he brought them out the dungeon. So he, he, he went and he, he, he fell before Paul and Silas. Suddenly he's really respectful of these men of God. And he says, what is necessary for me to do that I may be saved? And him and his whole household were saved. I don't know, it doesn't say comment on the prisoners, but I should imagine that many of them were saved. Now, if Paul and Silas hadn't prayed, what would have happened? Do you think God would have just done that sovereignly? He's chosen. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. He's given us the ability to to release the power of God. We, his vessels, he works through us. He doesn't say, and I will heal the sick when they look to me. He says, no, no. He says... In my name, believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Believers. He's choosing us. But he's looking for a praying people. He's looking for a praying people. Look, look at Paul coveting the prayers. Both coveting prayers and also praying. If we go to Ephesians 6 verse 18. Do you want me to show you some more earthquakes and thunderbolts and lightning? Because there's more. After we've looked at Ephesians 6, I'll show you some. It says here. So, we, uh, no, we'll read verse 19. We'll leave verse 18 for later. So, verse 19, Paul says, Pray for me that freedom of utterance may be given me, that I may open my mouth to proclaim boldly the mystery of the good news. Here's a guy who's been um, stoned, who's been uh, stoned to death. He's been beaten and lashed a number of times. He's been in shipwrecks, all for, for the word of God and the way. And he's saying, pray that I'll have boldness. Is there a connection? Are we praying for our leaders? Are we praying for our government? Because we want them to, to, to move in harmony with what God is, um, is wanting to happen. And we're wanting the wind of God behind their backs. So that's Paul. Look at verse 20. So he says, that I may boldly proclaim the good news, the gospel. And verse 20 says, for which I am an ambassador in a coupling chain, that I may declare it boldly and courageously as I ought to do. And he sure did. Okay, so let's look at Psalm eighteen. Psalm eighteen. I'll get there. Right here we go. So this is a Psalm of David, and he he's singing and praising God, and he says, "I love you, and O oh Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, uh, and." Then he goes to verse 4, where he speaks about, so he's been praising God, and then he says, the cords or bands of death surrounded me. The streams of ungodliness and the torrents of ruin terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted. He's in a bit of a desperate place. Look what he says in verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, He heard my voice at his temple, heavenly dwelling place. And my cry came before him into his ears. Then the earth quaked. Does that sound like a bit of an earthquake? The earth quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled. They were moved and shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils. Lightning out of his mouth uh, devoured and coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens. Uh, and came down. He rode upon a cherub. And if we read further on, verse 12, for instance, out of the brightness before him broke forth thick cloud, clouds of hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice amid hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. Do you remember, um, it was 2 Kings 13... Where, where there was war going on uh, in Israel, and Elisha was old, and it says he was sick, and the king of Israel came to him and said, you know, my father, my father, and uh, so Elisha said to him, uh, give me a bow and arrows, and he, and, and he put his hand, well, the king was holding it to shoot it out the window, and he put, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands, and as they shot the arrow, uh, Elisha prophesied and said, Behold the arrow of God's deliverance. And then he said to the king, Strike the quiver on the ground. And the king went, He struck it maybe three or four times. And it says the prophet was angry. He says, Now you're only going to beat the enemy three or four times. But if you had struck it at least six times with some sort of vigor, then um, you would have thoroughly routed the enemy. And why is that? Because the arrow... The arrow is the word of God. So the king did not respect and honor the word of God, and he was dull and uh, blinded to spiritual uh, truth. And so he didn't get what God wanted to give him. He should have struck the ground and said, Yes, Father! Wow! Well, they didn't call him father. Whatever you call him. Yes, mighty God. Yahweh, thank you for victory. Thank you for victory for your Israel, for your people. Thank you, Lord. It's done. It's done. They didn't do it. And sometimes we like that. We're a bit dull and apathetic. So now we're going to sharpen our eyes and we're going to look and we're going to see and we're going to understand the power of prayer. But we're going to learn to pray in harmony with what God's doing. And we're going to expect shackles to come off. We're going to expect prison doors to open. People that are in bondages. People that are in addictions. People that are in situations that they can't get out of. They can't change. They seem to be caught in patterns of behavior. Mindsets that are ungodly. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And the word of God. He's going to send his arrows. He's going to send his words. And those words will heal them. They will transform them. They will change them. And those words, those arrows, will be in the mouth of the preachers and the people who are ministering God. Those words are not going to return void because when the word... Look at Isaiah 55.10. Just have a look at this. The word of God. I just find this wonderful. Got to find it. All right, this is what God says about his word. He says, For as the rain and snow come down from the heavens and return not again, but water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout, that it may uh, give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. And when we pray, we say, God, we pray for so-and-so that you give them words, that they can speak your word boldly, that they can speak it courageously, that they can speak it accurately as you would want, that your word, Father, is respected and honored, and, Lord, it, 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 it has its place in our lives. This is what he says. The words that come out of my mouth, it says, shall not return to me void without producing any effect. Useless, it says in brackets here. But it it shall accomplish, talking about the word, the whole word, it shall accomplish that which I please and purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isn't that, so you want to be praying for God's word? We don't want intellectual words off a page. Because there's lots of people with good theories, lots of people can read these words and they say, oh, the the philosophies are rather marvelous. I've, I've spent too long in England, haven't I? You know, what a marvelous thought. And we have people that aren't born again in the pulpits. And there's this intellectual study and people doing doctorates in theology. And it's mumbo-jumbo dead stuff coming out their mouth. We want the real word. And we ask God for the word. Paul asked God for the word. We ask God for the word. And I'm just excited to think that whoever preaches in, 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 to you guys, because you get the benefit. You, if you pray, say, Lord, we thank you. Alan's preaching this Sunday and I thank you, Father, that life will flow out his mouth. The words of God. Rivers will touch us because who gets the benefit? The people who hear. And you know, the amazing thing about the rivers of God that are in us, we are both the source, and the beneficiary of those rivers. Because when rivers flow, they polish stones. We're the living stones. So I'm watching the clock. I'm so aware of time now. I, I don't want to get into something new. So this word, this word is amazing. And it's not just that the word is living and active, which it is. That's Hebrews 4, verse 12. And John six sixty three. Jesus says, The word I speak is spirit and life. And what is more, God is watching over it. This word is valuable. I remember I was on the stage once with a guy called Fintan Giosini. Some might know him, some not. But he was a worship leader. And I was standing next to him because I was going to be doing something when he would finished leaving the worship. But it was like God suddenly opened my eyes, and I saw the words coming out of his mouth, and they were gold, and they were vibrating. And the the word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it was going out, and as it was going out of his mouth, this word vibrating, I just saw ripples like, in the, the atmosphere, it was like ripples on a pond. You know when you throw a stone in a pond and it, the ripples go out. But this word and those ripples go out forever. It's eternal. Those words that are spoken are still going out. Living and active. It's, it's a valuable, wonderful thing. If we find the word, we find life. And we're not talking about life. Natural life. We're talking about God life. Zoe life. The word is life. The word is light. That's why when that arrow went out the window, that was life and light going out the window. And that had the full attention of God, that arrow. Behold the arrow of God's deliverance. And the quiver was in a way, you know, Banging the ground. I I just see that as dominating the ground. I'm taking something that's greater than the ground and I'm hitting it. It's like putting the ground in its place, saying, this is the word of God. Observe. Feel. Feel what the word does to you when it's banged down on you. There's, There's... I'll give you one last one still a few minutes. Go to 1 Samuel 7. So you see there's this supernatural element that we release when we pray. So what was happening here in 1 Samuel 7 is that um, the ark had been lost. The ark came back. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, yeah, if you're returning to the Lord, do it with all your heart. He said, and... Then he said, and assemble in uh, Mizpah. So verse 5 of 1 Samuel 7. Samuel says, gather all Israel in Mizpah. I will pray to the Lord for you. So the whole, now they've been at war with the Philistines for, for years. So it says, they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted. And they confessed their sins. Said, We've sinned against the Lord. It says, Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. But the Philistines heard they were there and said, hmm, now we can go get them. They're all in one place. Let's just go and sort them out. So it said, the lords of the Philistines went up, in verse 7, up against Israel. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the Israelites said to Samuel, do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel takes a sucking lamb and he offers it, and it says, And Samuel cried to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10. As Samuel was offering the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near. So what are we looking at now? Are we looking at the enemy, or are we looking at the feasting table of God? And it says, but the Lord thundered with a great voice that day against the Philistines, and they were defeated. So it's that thing of thunder. Whether the ground shook, I don't know, but certainly there was something that terrified them. It says because they were thrown into confusion. Something so abnormal shook and, 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 and made a noise and threw them into... I wanted to just show you... Maybe we'll just... I'll, I'll just show you now what happens in heaven when we pray, which will give you more excitement to pray. But maybe we'll do that after the break. And then we'll move into the next phase of this. Okay.